We were talking in our last broadcast about the subject of submission. We were trying not to say everything about that subject, of course, in the short time that we have to speak, but we were trying to talk about one issue that continually comes up. All right, so the Bible talks about submission. I'm supposed to submit to my husband, but what in the world does submission really mean? Is it doormatism? Do I lie down as a doormat in front of the door each night and ask my husband to come and wipe his dirty boots on me? Is that what submission is all about? Does it mean squashing all of my gifts and abilities and all my uh, uh, opportunities in life just to serve him and the children and not do anything else? Well, of course, all these things are foreign to the biblical concept of submission. There is no idea of doormatism whatever in this uh, concept of submission. And there is nothing about uh, squashing one's abilities. That woman in Proverbs 31, for example, was a woman of tremendous abilities who developed and used them all to the fullest in serving her husband and her family. No, the woman indeed ought to be uh, ordered by her husband, if she doesn't do it for any other reason, to develop and use every gift that she has. No gift must atrophy, none must be, become lethargic, all must be used in this exciting job of being a wife and being a mother in a home. Now, I'd like to talk about one other question today. I promised on the last broadcast that I would discuss the matter of how far submission goes. To what does it extend and what, does it, uh, what are its limitations? Are there any limitations whatsoever? Is a husband to be a tyrant in the home who can order his wife about at will, asking her to do whatever he cares and she must obey regardless? Or are there certain boundaries, certain limitations, certain restrictions, certain points beyond which this command for submission does not extend? At first, it might seem that there are no limitations because we read... Uh, in verse 24 of Ephesians 5, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And so that seems to comprehend just everything there is. No matter what a husband says, if he tells his wife to stand on her head, uh, she ought to do it. If he tells her to jump out the window, she ought to do it. If he tells her to run in front of a speeding car, she ought to do it. Well, obviously, there must be some limitation. There must be something that doesn't allow that kind of nonsensical response to take place. A more careful examination of the verse gives us something about that limitation. It says, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. That is, in everything that Christ, as the head of his church, does and orders his church to do, they ought to be subject to him. And in everything that a husband does that approximates what Jesus Christ does for his church, so also ought that wife to be subject to her husband. Now let me explain that a bit more fully. You see, there are different authorities that God has granted. God granted an authority to the state He granted an authority to the church. Now, those two uh, religious and political organizations may at times come into conflict with one another. When they do, the question arises, is God in, in conflict with himself? Is the authority of the one in conflict with the authority of the other? 
And the answer to that, of course, must be no. The two are not in conflict with one another. Well, what keeps that conflict from occurring? What keeps that conflict down? Why is it that there is no conflict uh, between God and himself in the two authorities that he has granted to these two institutions when they differ? Well, the answer is simply found in a passage in the book of Acts. The apostles were commanded by Jesus Christ as part of the church to go and preach the gospel. This they did. But the state forbade them to preach the gospel. The state said, no, we want you no longer to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. They let them out of prison and they charged them not to preach in that name anymore. But the apostles responded with these significant words, we must obey God rather than men. Now you see the state was saying, don't preach the gospel. The church was saying, preach the gospel. Was God in conflict with God since God had given the state an authority and since God had given the church an authority? No. The words of the apostles make clear that there was no essential conflict in God whatever because they say we must obey God rather than men. They assumed that one of these authorities was speaking with the authority that God had granted, and the other was speaking apart from that authority that God had granted. So that the authority of the state was really a, an assumed authority which God had never given to it. God never gave the state the right or the authority to prohibit the preaching of the gospel. So when the state determined to prohibit the preaching of the gospel, the state was going beyond the authority divinely given and was assuming and allocating to itself an authority which did not belong to it. The apostles recognized this, and they saw that it was not God's authority given to the state that was in conflict with God's authority given to the church, but the contrary, it was a human assumed authority that the state had arrogated to itself that it was bringing into conflict with the church which was preaching the gospel. And so they called it not the authority of God, but the authority of man. We must obey God rather than man. Now the same is true of all authority granted in all areas, whether it be the authority of parents over children, the state over its members, the church over its members, or a husband over his wife. The authority that God has granted in each area is an authority that extends to certain limits, namely the limits that are given in the scriptures. And the limits that are given here are the limits which are uh, conditioned by the way that Christ, as the head of his church, orders his church to obey him. A wife must therefore obey her husband insofar as her husband conforms to anything that the word of God allows or encourages him to command his wife to do. That means that unless there is some plain commandment of God which the husband is asking his wife to violate that she ought to obey her husband. But if she can find a plain commandment of God that he is asking her to violate, then she must in a submissive manner say to him, Honey, don't ask me to do that. I must obey God rather than men. Also, if a husband tells his wife to sin, if he asks her to lie for him, he asked her to commit adultery by joining a swinging group of wife-swapping people on a weekend. If he asked her to do anything that violates a plain commandment of God, she must in a submissive manner say, Honey, I can't do it. I must obey God 
rather than men. But anything that she can't find a plain commandment of God to back up her refusal to submit uh, is material for her to obey. Lord, help us to understand this and to obey in all such matters that do not contradict the word of God, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.